0: All right, well, good morning. Good morning. good morning. good morning. There we go. Thank <laughs> thank you. Uh, for those who don't know me, which I think most of you should, but for those who don't, I'm Pastor Sean. I'm the associate pastor here, and I am uh, blessed beyond belief to be here with you today on this very cold uh, Texas morning um, to... Worship and serve the one true living God with you. This truly is a blessing. This is a privilege. This is something God has has granted us out of His grace, out of His mercy. This isn't something He had to give us. This isn't something He, uh, this isn't some chore on a checklist that we have to do. This is this is a wonderful opportunity for us to come together as the people of God, as the body of Christ, to worship and serve Him together, to spur one another onto holiness, and to lift one another up in prayer. And to hear the the proclamation of the gospel, the only name given under heaven by which man must be saved, so let us treat this time as the blessing that it is. Let us not uh take it for granted. let us not um, simply feel like it's something we have to do to just be here just just to just to get that monkey off our back. No, that's not what this is this is this is a blessed time of fellowship and worship so um, as we come together, as we get ready to open the Scriptures, as we get ready to, to dive in to God's Word, let's go in with that mindset. Let's go in with asking God to prepare us to and to give us something, to show us something about Himself, maybe that we haven't seen before, maybe that we saw once upon a time and have since forgotten. But let us come in expectantly, knowing that God is gracious to provide. Um, for those who are uh who may have been keeping up we've been out of 1 Samuel for a while but today vacation is over time to get back into 1 Samuel. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel and we're going to be in chapter 18 and we're going to be finishing it up. We're going to be wrapping up 1 Samuel 18. And uh we're going to be starting in verse 17 and we're going to go all the way to the end. Some of you I can I can feel the dread coming over you, I promise, I promise you'll be out by 2025. First Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. If you have found it and you are able, I do ask that you would briefly please stand for the honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. And the word of God says, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing? to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired, therefore David arose and went, and he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Mishal, his daughter, as a wife." Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time you have blessed us with. Lord, for this blessed time together, Lord, to gather together under the banner of Christ, to come together as one people, as your people. Lord, and to lift your name high, Lord, and to lift one another up to you, Lord, and to open your word and to look at the things you have for your people. Lord, we have been blessed beyond blessed to read your word just now. Guide us by your spirit through the passage, Father, so that we may see what it is you have for your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, since it's been a, a few weeks, let's do a little bit of a review here, a little bit of catch up to see what's happened uh, prior to this so we can. Uh, see exactly how we got here. So we've been introduced to a couple of people um, at this point. We've been introduced to quite a few people. We're only going to talk about a couple. Uh, So we've been introduced to Saul, um, and Saul is the first king of Israel. Um, And if you recall anything about Saul's um, coronation, um, you'll remember uh, he was nowhere to be found. It turns out he was hiding. Um, He was hiding in the barn, the animals and the luggage. Um, So he was um, not off to a great start, uh, but he was the the kind of king that the people wanted, that the people asked for, um, as we've talked about previously, not so that they could better worship, glorify, honor, and praise the Lord and be a better light to the nations, but so that instead they could be just like everybody else. Um, So that's the king God gave them in Saul. Now, he was a wonderful military commander. He looked good in that suit of armor. He looked like a real take charge kind of guy, leading the the charge into battle. But that's pretty much all they got with Saul. And uh, Saul, after doing a couple of things that um, he was told explicitly not to do, or not doing some things he was explicitly told to do, um, it was announced to him that uh, the kingdom was going to be ripped from him and given to his neighbor who is better. Then we are introduced to a little boy named David. David is a young man who is is the youngest of of, uh, his brothers, Um, and he is a shepherd. He does the dirty work nobody really wants to do, and in fact the work that kind of makes you um, not really the the kind of people that they want to be around. Um, So he's out in the field taking care of the sheep, and it turns out that the prophet comes by to anoint the next king, and um it's david uh this little little buddy from nowhere who uh just kind of ups and surprises everybody um but it's not made public yet um david uh we we start following the story of David and we start seeing what he does um how God is preparing him and uh in the previous chapter we see. Uh, David's encounter with Goliath. A famous story. I'm sure you, like, even people who have never seen a Bible in their lives have heard the story of David and Goliath. Um, And we see here um, where little David trusts in God, goes up against the giant, and slays him. And part of that was actually. Saul's reward to the man who would who could stand up and slay the Philistine was to give him his daughter to be his wife, and he would become the king's son-in-law. Well, we see David does that, but right by this point, Saul's, uh, Saul's suspicion, Saul's alarm bells are starting to go off. He's like, oh, no, is this the neighbor? Is this the guy who God is taking the kingdom from me to give to? Um, but we see. And we see um, that not only, does, not only does David find favor with the people, David is finding favor with Saul's own family, Saul's own court, Saul's very own um, lieutenants, his servants, and also even his son. Um, David and Jonathan make a pact, a friendship pact. And Jonathan strips himself of his royal regalia and gives it to David, um, confirming his, his legitimate claim to the throne and uh then uh um in chapter 18 we see we hear the song that the uh the ladies sing um as the as the troops are returning home we're seeing uh the ladies are coming out singing saul has slain his thousands and david his ten thousands and boy doesn't that just get under saul's skin boy that that just really bothers him um that bothers him to the point to where now he's pretty sure that David is the guy he, he needs to be afraid of. And following that incident, um, Saul actually tries to kill David. David played music for the king in order to soothe his, uh, his distress when he, was being, um, when he was either being possessed or when he was uh, being tormented, however you want to look at that. Saul played, played music for him to soothe him. And uh, Saul tries to run him through with a spear. Um, so, you know, I guess that's the reward you get for a job well done. Um, not only did you slay the Philistine, you also sooth- soothed me to sleep so I, can, uh, so I can relax and run you through with a spear. But that brings us to our, um, to our passage today. Uh, right on the heels of the verse that says, All Israel and Judah love David. Uh, because he went out and came in before them. He led their people into battle, and he won them victories. And that brings us to our passage today. So let's go through it. Um, I'm not going to do verse by verse as I usually do. I'm going to try to do chunk by chunk um, so you're not actually here until 2025. Um, So let's start with verse 17. Uh, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Mirab." I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? So we see here that at this, after Saul has stalled for as long as he can stall, that it's time, it's it the time has come to make good on his promise, and the promise being to give his daughter in marriage to the man who slayed the Philistine Goliath. Um, and so Saul seems like he's making good on the promise, but then he tacks on this other condition. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. So he's he's trying to put, he's trying to. It almost seems like he's trying to worm his way out of the promise, but looking like he's fulfilling the promise. Um, and that's about as good as not actually doing what you promised to do. Uh, so we see here that he's though he seems like he's trying to follow through, though he seems like he's trying to do the right thing by giving his daughter in marriage to the man who slayed, the, slayed Goliath, He's actually um, clearly has ulterior motives. Not only does it seem like he's trying to get out of it, but he's actually also trying to uh, get the man killed. Uh, he's trying to get David killed. He says, he says let, me, uh, let, uh, let me not kill him. I'll just let the Philistines do it. I'll let the Philistines take care of him, and then he won't be my problem anymore. And so like, I didn't, My hands are clean. Your hands are about as clean as we'll find out David's are later when um, he sends Uriah to his death. Uh, that's about how clean your hands would be. Um, but I think we, we see what's going on in Saul's mind here twofold, right? So we're seeing um, Saul clearly saying, just promise to continue going to war, and you can have her. Um, so David's increased presence in battle is going to, therefore, increase the likelihood he will die in battle. Um, that's, the math works out pretty simply. Um, but also, I think we're, what we're seeing here is uh, by offering him his daughter in marriage, he's also painting a bigger target on David's back. He's saying, oh, you, you want a good target? The king's son-in-law is right there, man. Married into the family. The guy is, uh, seems like he's, everything he touches just succeeds. He'd be a great prize for any Philistine to take back to camp and say, look who I killed. So we're seeing here that Saul is not, um, let me put it this way, Saul is the kind of king that we've seen him be pretty much all the way up to this point. He's doing exactly the kind of thing that is fitting of the kind of guy that we've seen up to this point. But David's response... What is David's response? Complete and utter humility. He's described uh, in verse 15 before our passage today um, as behaving very wisely. So I think what we're seeing, I think what the Bible is doing is making a clear connection between humility and wisdom. We're seeing here that oftentimes. The humble path is the path of true wisdom. The wisest thing you can do is the most humble thing you can do. And what we see David doing here, David, who is no fool? David's response, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? David's response in wisdom is his response in humility. David's David's wise response in es- in escaping the the deception and the the evil plans of Saul is accomplished through his humility. So whereas we see Saul who is who is a very proud man. Is very puffed up. Is so is so proud to the point that Uh, It has been told to him by the prophet of God that the kingdom of God is no longer going to be his, but is going to be taken from him and given to somebody else. And that man is holding on to the kingdom as tightly as he possibly can. His pride is in the way. It's not in God's way, but it's in Saul's way. He is holding on to the kingdom as tight as he possibly can. And by comparison, we see David who's responding in true humility. And not just humility to a king, humility to a wicked king who has tried to kill him. That's hard. We can say that. That's really hard to submit yourself to the authority of somebody who doesn't, clearly doesn't give one flip about you to the point that they tried to kill you but to and to even and to go into that relationship with the knowledge that God has declared you the next king the next ruler and he clearly has the support of the people the people love him the people of Uh, Israel and Judah love David and they may very well support his claim to the throne if he comes out and tries to take it but he has determined in his heart to instead submit himself to God's authority by submitting himself to the king God has placed in that position even though that king is wicked I think, to a certain degree, we can we can sympathize with that, can't we? Like we here today can sympathize with that. We we currently live in a time where being Christian doesn't have a whole lot of cultural capital. It it doesn't really it doesn't get you the. Uh, the automatic respect that it did in this country at one point in time. The, the idea that you're a Christian rather than meaning, oh, therefore you're somebody I can trust, instead has, ter- has turned around to mean, oh, you're somebody I need to be careful of because you hate people, because you say you love people, but you don't really love people. You just want them to think the way you do that's the common perception of christianity today we we live in a we live in a time and in a world that is increasingly hostile to christianity but the sad part is this this hostility it's always been there it's just been bubbling under the surface We've just there was just a time in this country where you could be cult, where the people were culturally conditioned to think, oh, I'm in America, therefore I am by default Christian, and everyone I know is by default Christian because we all go to church together, we all sing the same songs, we all listen to the same preaching, we all uh, we all do the same community outreach or whatever. But that hostility has always been there. Why? Because a lost, dark, and dying world hates nothing more than the light shining into it. The, the dark world has always hated that. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 1, that the light shined into the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness, the darkness and, and the idea here is not simply that the light shined and the dark was like, what? The idea here is that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness rebelled. The darkness revolted. And the darkness tried to strike back. That's the idea here. Is that this hostility towards Christ, towards Christianity, has always been present. The world is just caring a lot less about hiding it they're caring a lot less about keeping it under wraps and a lot more about making sure you know how much they hate you you to make sure you know how much they despise you and in many cases yes how much they want you dead this hostility is not new you know what else is not new? The Savior who walks with us by our side through the hostility. The Savior who sent His Spirit to be with us as we continued through. Because He knew He was leaving us in a world that hates us. Why? Because the world hated Him. So He knew wasn't some big surprise it wasn't something that caught God off guard open theism is false God always knows what's happening he always knows what's going to happen because it's his plan So so he rather than leaving us to suffer through it by ourselves because he loves us he sent his spirit to be with us to empower us, to embolden us to guide us and the Spirit guides us not just in the world, but the Spirit guides us in His Word. Christian, this is the promise to you. This isn't the full extent of the promise. This is merely the down payment. The Word and the Spirit. God's gift to us who live in the, in the, in the world after the cross. He gives us his word and his spirit so that we can walk through this life boldly and confidently, trusting in him. But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given instead to Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. Saul's just a bad dude, man. Saul is the kind of guy that you don't want to make a deal with. Saul is the kind of guy that, even though he checks all the boxes on that list that we gave to God about the kind of king we wanted, he is not the kind of king you actually want. And he is proving this here time and time again. He is showing just how truly unqualified he is, biblically speaking, to be king. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. The thing pleased him. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Like, oh, my daughter loves the guy who slayed the Philistine, the guy everybody loves. That's that's wonderful. Would warm a dad's heart, you would think. But instead, Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. We're seeing we're seeing a lot here. But I think one of the chief things we're seeing here is, is a... Obviously, yes, a contrast between Saul and David, but what we're seeing here is the contrast between the king Israel asked for and the king they already had. God was their king. God was the one who led them. God was the one who gave them through his prophets his instructions. And whereas they're seeing what we're seeing here is is a king who who deceives and manipulates and who tries to go back on his promises or tries to fulfill his promises with ulterior motives, try to get his own people killed because he's afraid of what their presence means to his position. The king they had was perfect and righteous and infallible. And knew only how to fulfill promises. And knew only how to grant life. And in fact, that's exactly what he did. He was leading them. He led them through out of Egypt, through the desert, into a land that he promised them. And at the first chance they got because the guy that God was using to speak to them was gone for an extended lunch break, they go to his brother-in-law and say, man, make us a God. Here's our gold. Make us a God so that we can worship him and thank him for bringing us out of Egypt. Now we can look back on that and we can say, man, those Israelites... That's pretty twisted. How often do you do that in your everyday? In your daily walk? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or to confess anything out loud. But just think, how often in your daily walk do you forget the God who has done so much for you and seek to put something else in this place? I'll confess and say, too often. Too often, daily. Israel had the king that they actually wanted, but they were so blinded by these other desires that had crept in that they were given over to them. And then God gave them the king that they said they wanted. And this is what they got. This is what they got. My friends, be careful asking God for things you think you know you want. Because sometimes the things you think you know you want are the things that will do the most damage to your spirituality are the things that will make complete shipwreck of your faith. They're the things that are going to hurt you the most. So when God says no, or when God says not this, but this, we need to ask God to give us the spirit of humility to accept it. That's what David did. David was given this, was told in front of his brothers, in front of his family, you're going to be the next king. He was anointed in everything by the prophet. But rather than taking it by force, rather than saying, God said it's mine, I'm laying claim to it. He humbled himself to humility. He humbled himself to service to serve the king already in place and let God do the work of removing him. So Saul, upon hearing his daughter loves David, sees another opportunity to kill David because of how afraid he is to lose the kingdom, how afraid he is to lose the title king. And then Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? So even after flattery from not just Saul, but from Saul's other servants, the court of Saul, coming to David saying, Look, man, Saul clearly likes you. He's offering you his second daughter. All his servants love you. You know this. So just be the king's son-in-law. But again, David responds in humility. David responds in humility and wisdom. And he says, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? Your translation may say something to the effect of, uh, of little or no reputation. It's perfectly fine. Um, the idea here is that is David's response is, I come from a poor family, and I, I, don't have, I don't have the name recognition due to Mary the king's daughter. I, uh, he's really saying, my family can't afford the bride price. So I can't be worthy to be the king's son-in-law. So he responds again in the wisdom of humility, and so the servants go back to Saul, and they tell him the words that David said. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. I thought it was going to be 50 bucks, but it's going to be 104 skins of our Sworn enemies. Okay? My response would have been, oh, is that all? Okay, well, then let's, let's figure it out. Um, but Saul wasn't, Saul wasn't doing David a favor. Saul thought, again, let the Philistines kill him. Let the Philistines kill him because Saul's thinking there is no way... He's going to do this. So we're seeing again another contrast. We're We're seeing a contrast between David's faithfulness and Saul's faithlessness. David, who has clearly shown himself to have complete and utter trust in God to fulfill the promises that David has received from the mouth of his prophet, to let God give David the kingdom in his time versus Saul's faithlessness, who has already in a previous passage determined the Lord is with David and is not with me. And instead of, instead of a humble, contrite response, we get fear, anger, and deception. And plotting, lots of plotting. And so David's faithfulness is being displayed, whereas Saul's faithlessness, Saul, who sees that David or that the Lord is with David, but thinks a hundred Philistines is still going to kill him, sets up this little uh, dowry substitute. This bride price substitute. Trying to get David killed again. David is being faithful. Saul is being faithless. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son in law. David took that as good news. 100 Philistine foreskins. David is certain he can get it done because he trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord with that same trust he had when he went up against the Philistine. And he trusts the Lord with the same trust he had when he went up against the lion and the bear. It's the same trust. He is trusting God. In every situation we see David trusting God. Now we see his trust obviously is not infallible. We'll see it uh, in a later passage. Uh, David also does some plotting and scheming of his own. But the Bible shows us, does, does this. It'll, it'll paint us pictures, full pictures of these individuals to let us know these aren't superhumans. God didn't breed superhumans to do his work through because it's not about them, it's not about their ability, it's about the God who made them. So he's using, he's calling, he's ordaining normal, everyday people like David just described himself as, somebody who is poor and of low esteem, of little or no reputation. He uses normal, average people to do his extraordinary, marvelous work. That's the God we serve. We, we serve a God who doesn't need the sharpest tools in the shed. We serve a God who doesn't need to make bulbs that are brighter and burn stronger and longer. God made his people the way he made his people to let us know that it's not about us, it's about him. To let us know that we don't have to achieve superhuman faith and spirituality Because then what? It would be about what we can do. It would be about what we can accomplish. It would be about how far we can get before we can finally be used by God. But that's not what it's about. It's about the God who does. Sometimes in spite of the tools at his disposal. Not simply because we're the best. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal his daughter, as a wife. So David wakes up, and he says, All right, boys, we're going to go get that bride price. And they go. And boy, howdy, do they get that bride price. Not only do they get what was requested, they get twice the number. And what is this showing us? I think this is a very clear illustration that God is doing exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that can be asked or thought despite the intentions behind the asking. David was supposed to die. That was Saul's plan. David was supposed to die. But not only did David succeed, David succeeded far beyond the imagination of anybody watching. Brother and sister, when Christ came into the world, Satan Sought to kill him. Satan sought to make him fail publicly by killing him publicly. And he sought to do so so that it would be clear to the world that God can fail. Not only did Christ succeed, he succeeded in a way that nobody expected. Yes, he died, but he laid down his life, and then he picked it back up. That's the God we serve. That's the God who walks with you in this dark and dying world, the God who overcomes sin by death and death by life. That's the God we serve. This God who succeeds, even though it may look like all hope is lost. Do you remember the brief description of the disciples in the three days between the death and the resurrection of Jesus? It's despair. It is utter and complete despair. They think they've wasted the last three and a half years. They think they've just devoted their their lives, their livelihoods to this guy who promised so much and was taken out. They were lost. They truly were sheep without a shepherd and they were lost. And then, Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, the burial clothes were lying in a pile, neatly folded, and out walked the Savior. This is the God you serve. This is the God who walks by you. This is the God who, when the world is trying to humiliate you and destroy you, walks by your side and says, be humble. Continue. I know it hurts. I know there's a lot you want to do. But keep going. Trust me and I will even it out. That's the God we serve. That's the God David served. That's the God David was foreshadowing would come after him. So David succeeds and he brings 200 foreskins of slain Philistines to Saul in full number. And he receives his bride. When Christ died on the cross and there was despair and there was despondency and then he rose again, he proceeded to the Father after his 40 days extended ministry. He ascends to the Father and proceeds. And he says, Father, these are mine. He said, I have slain sin and I have slain death. Here they are. And when the time is right, the Lord is going to give him his bride. That's you and me. Count yourself blessed to be part of that bride. We are a gift from the Son to the Father and return to the Son. We are a gift. God has chosen to make you, Christian, a gift to himself, a gift from the Son to the Father to the Son. Who am I? What is my life? Or my father's family and all the clan of Israel? Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Again, we see Saul, rather than responding in humility, rather than seeing, okay, clearly this is God's man. And submitting himself to the will of God, we instead see Saul becoming more afraid of David. David, who has not lifted a finger against Saul, by the way. In fact, it's the other way around. Saul has tried to kill David. David, on the other hand, has done nothing but um, succeed where Saul has failed and uh, sung him to sleep. But he is increasingly afraid of David and becomes his enemy. My translation says continually, yours may say from that day forward or yours may say all the rest of his days. The idea here is that Saul declared in uh, David to be his enemy and that is how Saul saw David until Saul died. In fact, the daughter that Saul was going to try to use as a snare to David. And even that didn't work out. Because she loved him. And so, this love for David by the people as represented, as represented by the love Saul's own children have for David is going to be what wins the day because the people are going to rally around David and the people are going to support David. Why? Because in verse 30, when the princes of the Philistines went out to war and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So, David gives the bride price. The unusual bride price, but a bride price. And Saul gives him his daughter, who loves David already. And we see that though Saul declares David to be his enemy, David continues to, to go out to war on behalf of Israel, and we see that he behaves more wisely than all the servants of Saul. And we see and what we're seeing here, I think, is a, is a summary statement for how David has behaved up until this point. And we're seeing here that clear link between wisdom and humility. uh, David is behaving in the wisdom of humility so that his name became highly esteemed. He married the king's daughter so he was no longer poor and his name became highly esteemed so he was no no longer of little reputation. David, in a sense, that points forward to What awaits God's people was glorified. He was lifted up. He was, his situation was reversed. He went from being poor and of no reputation to being in the richest family in the kingdom and highly esteemed. That is our condition. That is the Christian condition. That is the condition of God's people. Yes, when God, finds, when God finds us, when God saves us, we are poor and of little reputation. Who are we? What is my life? What is my family? But he brings us in, God brings us into his family, and he did so at the cost of his own son, through which he brought us into his own family, and he raises us up, And on the last day, we will see that we are no longer poor and of no reputation. Rather, instead, we are rich beyond belief. And in Christ, we are highly esteemed. That is what awaits God's people. That is is the promise that God has given you. And the down payment is his word and his spirit, which resides within and upon you as his child. So walk worthy of the name by which you are called, Christian, Christ. You are his. Let's leave this place and let's act like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne again, Lord, to just thank you for your word, to thank you for your spirit, to thank you for your son, to thank you for the lineage of David that led to the birth of the Savior of the world. Father, all that we have read today, Lord, all that, we have dis- all that we have learned today from your word, may your spirit carry it with us as we leave this place, that we do not only act like the body of Christ when we're in each other's presence, but that we continue to be the body of Christ wherever we are so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God may shine into this dark world as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.